Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly newspaper paper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Here's a headline from today's New York Times. Uh, that's going to be, it's, it's appropriate for the conversation I'm about to have with my distinguished guest who's waiting to come on, looking very dapper, by the way, in a fedora. Uh, here is the headline. James Lovelock, 103 whose Gia theory saw the earth as alive, dies. James Lovelock, the maverick British ecologist whose work was essential to today's understanding of man-made pollutants and their effect on climate, and who captured the scientific world's imagination with his Gia worlds, excuse me, with his Gia's theory, portraying the earth as a living creature died on Tuesday. Uh, Dr. Lovelock's breadth of knowledge extended from astronomy to zoology. In his later years, he became an eminent proponent of nuclear power as a means to help solve global climate change and a pessimist about humankind's capacity to survive a rapidly warming planet. Yes, he was. Guy was a freaking genius, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I read the New York Times story about him. Just the breadth of his knowledge in so many disciplines of science and his intellectual curiosity and his love for nature, and his willingness to tell it like it is. And it just goes to show you how dire the times are that we're going to turn to nuclear energy because everything else is destroying the planet, so we're going to roll the dice with something that can literally blow the planet up. But, you know, you got to weigh the pros and the cons of destruction, of civilization as we know it. Anyway, James looked like a freaking genius. Wish I could have had him on the show, but I got somebody who's almost as good as James uh, Lovelock, <laughs> and I guarantee he knows more about Chicago radio than James Lovelock. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. And yeah. Tell me over <laughs> and over and over again, my friend. I don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Uh, uh, yes, uh, that is uh, me, Barry McGuire. Uh, no, it's actually Mike Novak uh, from the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, uh, which sometimes streams is not currently streaming because I'm taking a break. Because you know what? The, the world is going a heck in a handbag, and uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do about it. It's... Uh, it's very, uh, that's uh, interesting that you would start with that. Um, and he's, see, that guy's ducking out before it gets really bad. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things I've, 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 I've noticed is that when you interview people like that, have you heard of a guy named Guy McPherson? No. All right. Guy McPherson, uh, professor emeritus, uh, University of Arizona. I've had him on my show a couple of times. 
Um, uh, I first heard of him on Tom Hartman, and uh, subsequently he and Tom Hartman had a falling out, and now they throw accusations at each other about whatever, and then, oh, who cares? Um, But he's a guy who 15 years ago basically said, we're screwed, okay? Just prepare for the end. Um, it's coming. There's nothing we can do about it. We've, we've passed the tipping point. You just haven't noticed it yet. Uh, in the next couple of decades, you're going to begin to see uh, chaos uh, of all kinds. And, um, and then we're going to say goodbye. Uh, and so just uh, live life the best you can because there's nothing you can do about it. And what I discovered is that when you got a guy like that on your show, basically your audience gets really depressed. Uh, <laughs> My my part my partner Kathleen said if you have him on again no offense but I'm not listening. All right. Uh, yeah, no. I, it's the kind of people that turn the party a little sour. Uh, but but you know he had the courage of his convictions, which is to say he he ruined his career. Um, well, he has. Uh, let me put it this way: he also has a uh, a huge following, people who believe him, uh, and uh, there's a lot of reason to believe what he has to say. Uh, but uh, he, he kind of blew blew his career up um, just by saying, "We're at the end times here. This is end game, um, and it's it's because of the degradation we've done to our planet." So here, you and I are. We're, you, know, you know, what are we going to talk about? Recycling um, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and other and, and composting, which are really important, um, but in the scheme of things, it seems like that that's too little, too late. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'm, I have no intention of uh, talking about composting, actually. You put me on the show, and that might happen. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I I must say, when listen, too little, too late, I was just thinking about. Uh, I just wrote about this for the reader in the reader newsletter about this ongoing debate I've been having with my friends uh, over the years about subscribing to newspapers. Uh, and uh, my friends, for many years, many of my friends have said no, they no longer subscribe to newspapers. Uh, they just get it for free on the internet. And when I pointed out that there's there's a bunch of cheapskates uh, who are essentially uh, pulling the plug on a very important industry in America, they tell me no, it's for the environment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. America, you guys are so freaking cheap. You're gonna hide behind the environment? Give me a break, man. <laughs> yeah, you could recycle a newspaper. Uh, all right. Uh, there's uh, a little way, good news. Speaking yeah. of too little, too late, I thought you were going to talk about putting a dome on Soldier Field, but that's uh, that's another story. I will happily talk about putting a dome. What a ridiculous proposal! See, here's the thing about the city of Chicago, Mike, and um, I've spent my adult career, by and large, covering politics in the city of Chicago, uh, and uh, for many years, that was essentially my chief focus. Uh, over the last decade or so, I broadened it and started talking about national politics and state politics, which I have passions for and have been obsessively following. Anyway, I just didn't write about it. And now I view Chicago as like almost a humorous diversion because the things that people do in Chicago are so weird and absurd and illogical, but they don't like hurt people as much as like, say, what MAGA is doing in this country. You know what I'm saying? So Lori Lightfoot proposing out of nowhere to enhance her reputation as somehow or other a business-oriented mayor to put a dome over Soldier Field, an idea that makes no sense and probably will never happen, is it's like a funny aside. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit or something, as opposed to Donald Trump, you know, calling for what? A push, you know? <laughs> calling for a, a, a coup. Uh, so that's kind of how I view Soldier Field. You know, you and it's, it's, it's interesting you should say that, though. I mean, and, and it is a stupid idea, but among the most stupid ideas uh, that I have heard in the last decade, okay? Um, because the bears are, are obvious, you know, Read the writing on the wall. The Bears are gone. All right, they are they are going to Arlington Heights. Not that that stadium has already been ruined by the spaceship they dropped on it in two thousand three. Um, it they they took away the the landmark status because of the spaceship they dropped on it. Um, it's the smallest stadium in the NFL. There's no reason I say put a dome over it and then do an implosion inside and then turn it into park. <laughs> Actually, I uh, well, now we th- we were not going to discuss Soldier Field, but I believe that it's an Soldier Field as it is is an asset. Fix it up, 
uh, have soccer games there, rent it out for concerts, whatever, and then you know let the Chicago public schools have track meets there, have football games, turn it into a public asset, and try and stop trying to just give away everything to corporations, particularly ones as poorly run as the Chicago Bears, which is a re- they are a wretched excuse for a football team, ladies and gentlemen. And I say this as a Bear fan, Bear down Chicago Bears since 1966. All right, <laughs> uh, let's get back to the good All news. Right, let's get back to the subject at hand. Yeah, the good news, uh, none of which has to do with the Chicago Bears. Trust me on that one, football fans. Uh, Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, out of nowhere from West Virginia, who is ostensibly a Democrat. <laughs> but what a weird Democrat. Is he? <laughs> well, he, you know, he, he's the reason the Democrats right, yeah. have a quote-unquote majority. Well, let's, let's put it this way. Let's not sell that short either because it allows the Democrats in the Senate to run the show. Yes, that you know, is correct. Just because he called, you know, he might not do anything for Democrats, but it allows them to call the shots. That's correct, Senator. Very good point. Uh, and uh, it was actually the point I just point I was just about to make. So it's I I don't overlook the significance he and Kirsten Cinema, who the, who's a similar situation from Arizona, uh, the role they play. All right, out of nowhere, after having pulled the plug on it, metaphorically speaking. Uh, on uh, Joe Biden's already diluted, watered-down climate and tax package. It was, I think it was yesterday, Manchin said, no, after all, I'm going to sign on uh, and we're going <laughs> to repackage it as a Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Uh, I don't know what motivated him to do it. I'm, I'm not inside his brain, but I'm looking for good news wherever I can find it uh, on the issue of climate uh, and environment. Uh, Mike, am I being too optimistic to see this? <laughs> because you are the eternal optimist. I'm just a little ray of sunshine. Uh, I, 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 I called somebody naive uh, today uh, talking about the city, and I don't even remember what we were talking about. Um, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. I, I don't know why uh the uh the white house hasn't brought the hammer down on joe mansion to this point um you know um i i imagine can you imagine lbj having a senator hold one senator hold up everything what would lbj do he'd pick the guy up by the scruff of his neck and and mop the floor with him for a little bit and then set him straight and say you're going to vote our way or bad things are going to happen to you in your state um, we don't have politicians like that. Well, I guess Donald Trump is kind of a politician like that, but uh, but I, I just don't understand why Joe Manchin has so much leverage. Uh, he's obviously got some leverage, but it just it's 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 baffling. So here we are at this situation. Um, and and he said, I don't know if you saw the article in the New York Times, but um, Joe Manchin said that two weeks ago when he had a falling out with uh, with Schumer. Senator Schumer, he said that Schumer had turned the dogs loose on him. Um, what does that mean? Schumer turning the dogs loose? Uh, that doesn't seem like uh, Chuck Schumer, but uh, maybe he did. Uh, and I don't know what's behind this, but there's still a long way to go. And it is so tricky right now in the U.S. Senate. And the idea that this would be the biggest climate change bill ever in the history of the United States. That's kind of what's at stake here. Uh, they're talking 300 plus billion dollars to uh, help mitigate climate change in the United States. So that alone is worth passing it. But when you add in things like uh, uh, Medicare being able to negotiate prices on medicine, uh, why, haven't, why didn't we do that 120 years ago? Uh, that's just insane. That I mean, who's holding that hostage? That's crazy. That's that's you know there there's so there are some things in the world you look at and you scratch your head and you say how is this even possible? For instance, the fact that Washington D.C. does not have representation in the United States. They, you know, um, in it's it's insane. Um, and uh, and not negotiating for the medicine and not and 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 uh, you know as uh, the, 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 the tarmac is melting in Great Britain. Uh, we are, we are dithering, uh, 
about how to fix the problem okay. in the United States. All right, so let's Dithering. get to that. Uh, and uh, listen, I have a lot of issues with a lot of Democrats, and I've spent my most of my career here in Chicago battling Democrats, usually on the losing, losing end of it. It's my most hurling my head against a wall. But I, when it comes to uh, national issues, which affect absolutely everyone, because hence the word national issues, I cannot escape the fact that MAGA, which is taking control of the Republican Party, is this existential threat on every level. I could, every issue, I could point out to you the bizarre line in the sand that they have drawn and that they are mobilizing their people to be against anything. So in this particular case, uh, when I think of a climate change, MAGA is opposed to the, even the notion that it's necessary, that it's a hoax to begin with, concocted by woke activists in cahoots with Chinese communists. This is so weird and twisted, okay? And they will be against any attempt to regulate... Uh, businesses in this country to steer us away from the meltdown that so many scientists say we're heading to. Uh, they boiled it all down to something they're against ESG, which if you're a MAGA person, you know that means an attempt uh, to move away from what? Gas, coal, and uh, to more renewable sources. Mike, I don't see I don't see a way forward. Here I am getting pessimistic with this kind of existential opposition uh, in the land. Your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, we, first of all, the, at some point, the whole idea of wokeism, it's going to turn. All right. You know, when somebody I've never I've never had anybody call me woke, but if I'm, I'm waiting for the day so that I can just laugh and say, oh, oh no, I'll, I'll get on my hands and knees. I'm so scared. You called me woke. Oh, no. What do I do now with the rest of my life? I'm woke, uh, which is, you know, idiotic. It will turn. That will turn. And the people who use that will be made to look like fools at some point. Uh, now is not the time, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I see, I see that happening. Um, and, and it's, it's a minority and it continues to be a minority. Yes, it's a very vocal minority, but, um, as you know, wokeism in the schools and in libraries, the idea that we're going to start burning books, um, sure. Let's take us back, uh, to, uh, the 1500s. That's, that sounds great to me. Um, we um, we have to uh, fight back is people have to just present the facts and say, this is insane. Um, what you're um, espousing is ridiculous and and fight as hard as you can and, and remain calm and, and do whatever you can to uh, to fight the forces of darkness. And, and they are indeed dark darkness itself. Uh, is coming out of this kind of thought. Well, I hope it is the minority. And I'll tell you this, uh, as one of the few people in the city of Chicago who actually read uh, the Republican uh, platform that came out of Texas a little while ago. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I did read that. Uh, and it's uh, the contradiction on this particular issue is uh, pretty astounding. So there, because of global warming, there's, uh, as you know, a lot of flooding uh, and uh, hurricanes. Uh, uh, along the coastline, and Texas is uh, no exception to that. Uh, it's a punishing uh, uh, storm season every year, which costs millions and millions of dollars to clean up the damage and rectify people. Uh, and one of the planks uh, in the, uh, their platform is that uh, any hurricane should immediately, uh, the, uh, the folks who, are who lose property or have damaged property should immediately have assistance from the government. No, no hesitation, no nothing. We, this is that automatic. It's like a human right, okay? They make that assertion. And then in the next breath, uh, 
They say, uh, and any attempt to teach uh, global uh, warming as curriculum in the public schools should be immediately, should be denounced. And the other side should be given its opposite. I don't know who, Noah is going to come in and talk about the ark? I have no idea who the other side is. So crazy, Mike Novak. They want federal money, of course, right? Oh, yeah. They got that big Texas paw out looking for the handout. And meanwhile, and then they all say, and uh, and we reserve the right to secede from the the country, the government. They do. They have to like, assert their right to secede from uh, the United States. I'm like, who's gonna pay when the hurricane comes? You cheapskates. Yeah, I know you're not. You're too They're cheap. They're still gonna ask for the money. They're still gonna ask for the money, even if they secede. But, but and by the way, for a, a friend of mine came up with the phrase set Texas free uh, decades ago. And uh, I believe in it. It's uh, let's just set them adrift. Uh, they're already off the grid. They got their own grid, which doesn't work, uh, as you know, which is which led to all kinds of problems during the uh, cold snap the other winter and people without power and people dying of freezing to death. Uh, you know, and it, 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 uh, have there been any consequences for that? It doesn't seem there are for the people who run that state. Well, I go in a different direction. I, I've made this proposal many times. Of course, nobody's followed up on it. Uh, I say uh, just uh, move Berkeley uh, in California to Austin. Just everybody who lives in Berkeley in Cal- move to Austin. Uh, that'll tilt uh, Texas blue, and uh, you, you still have enough Democrats in California to keep it blue, and suddenly the Dems will have a lock in the Electoral College, and then... Then, Mike Novak, you will see Republicans screaming about how we must change the Electoral College. <laughs> then they'll be, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I All like right. the idea, but, you know, I love, there's a lot of people think that Austin is just a spaceship that, uh, you know, went off course and landed in Texas. Yeah, well, let's just put a few more spacemen and women on the, in that spaceship and then see how it goes. All right. Uh, you, th- you say they're a minority in your humble opinion, to people who are rigidly opposed to any kind of regulation of uh, industry so that uh, we save the climate. You say those people are minority. Do you actually believe they're a minority? Uh, I think that the people who do most of the agitating are a minority. I, and I think a lot, too many people go along for the ride. Um, and it is, and it, it has something to do with the politics uh, of uh, confrontation that now runs our country uh, and and um, your team, you know, who, which team are you on? Uh, and when you hear the captains of your team say something, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's got to be right. That's ex- immediately it, it. There's no critical thinking uh, involved. Uh, it's just you run with the captains of your team. And then uh, you, so in that case, I still think they're the minority. I still think that most Americans um, are actually reasonable people. Um, and, but it, it seems to be fewer and fewer every day. Um, cause I, I know, I know people who live in Texas and Oklahoma who are reason, as you said, it, it only would take, uh, Berkeley to tip the whole state blue. Um, it's, it's pretty close really. And, and, and I, and I've been thinking about that in terms of the election. I mean, I don't, I don't think Beto is going to win. Uh, but imagine if he did what uh what that means for the country because then suddenly there's um there's a roadblock here there, there's a speed bump for 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 the maga people right there i mean or if uh, stacy abrams wins in georgia things change and it, and they could change uh, very quickly um and it might uh, lead to some common sense uh which we desperately need right now all right, before I head to Chicago, where uh, uh, common sense is uh, uh, <laughs> a minority, to put it mildly, uh, if you were president of the United States, my, President Novak, uh, what would be some of the first things you do uh, on this front to uh, make a positive change? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, let me get back to, uh, to, to Joe Manchin here. Um, I had, um, I got a, a newsletter from uh, a group that I follow and I follow far too many, uh, groups. Um, and, uh, this is one, one called the Anthropocene Alliance. Um, and the headline of it was Joe Manchin as alibi. And, uh, the guy who wrote it was Steven Eisenman. And um, he he was saying that, you know, we can look at Joe Manchin as the devil incarnate uh, 
Um, or we can just say there are other ways to do th- you know, and this is before obviously this news came out today that we were talking about. Uh, or we can uh, just try to get things done other ways. And his point was that there are more tools in the toolbox that are not being used and should be used. I mean, uh, we know that uh, the president could declare a climate emergency if he wanted. Um, There are other executive orders that could be made. Um, uh, Come on, uh, Donald Trump declared an emergency to put up the stupid wall. Um, And so why couldn't uh, uh, Joe Biden do a similar thing, and we know that there is a climate emergency. Um, you know, just wait for another heat wave that kills a few hundred people, and then declare a climate emergency. Um, and uh, and I thought there was some truth into the, the idea that, um, yeah, the, we the the Senate is 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 evenly split, and it's and it's uh, a rocky road there. But there are other things that can be done. It if if one shows courage. And says, I believe this to be true. You tell the American people this is not a hoax. And it is amazing. Uh, a friend of mine uh, has a friend in Florida and was dealing with her uh, telling my friend that uh, climate change is a hoax, you know, as, as the water is rising uh, in Miami. Um, and uh, I, I think people can be reasoned with. And, and I'm and now I'm being the naive one here, but we're not going to uh, get anywhere if we're just hurling uh, brickbats at each other. That's it's not going to change it. So, you know, you ask what I would do. I, I don't know what all the possible uh, actions are, um, but it might be along the line, something along the lines of that is uh, of a climate emergency. Um, I know one thing I would do as a tree hugger is I would I would stop logging old growth immediately, but that's okay because they're being burned down in in the West Coast uh, already. I mean sequoia sequoias and redwoods, boy, that's uh, that's crazy stuff. So I don't know if that actually answers your question, but that's um, that's that's sort of where I am. Well, if it's, elaborate on what you just said uh, as a tree hugger. What you would do? Uh... Oh, okay. Well, um, there are. From what I understand, all right, here's an old growth tree is a tree. Some people say it's 150 years old. Some people say it's 200 years old, um, somewhere in that ballpark. And with old growth uh, trees come old growth systems, ecosystems, meaning they're mature, meaning that there's a, a, a diversity of life of all kinds in those areas. If you've ever been to the Pacific Northwest um, you can go into old growth forests and you'll get a sense of that. The trees are 250 feet tall, 300 feet tall, not quite as tall as the, uh, uh, the sequoias and the redwoods, um, but substantial. And there are ferns and lichen and, uh, uh, all kinds of, uh, flora and fauna. And this is a, a system that cannot be chopped up and kept intact. You need to have these larger parcels of land, otherwise you begin to lose some of that flora and fauna. Uh, Right now we have about 2% of the old growth left uh, in our country from when we started. Uh, Because one thing we're good at is chopping down trees. For instance, in the eastern part of the country, there's basically no old growth left. Uh, Because when we came in from Europe, we chopped it all down as we worked our way west. And by the time we got to the west coast and discovered uh, those trees, yeah, we started chopping those down too. Uh, But at that point, there was a glimmer of what of how important they might be and that perhaps we should hang on to them. There are a lot, a lot more old growth in Alaska. Uh, the Tongass uh, national area is, is, you know, there was a, uh, a move to put a road through it, which was defeated, uh, I believe in the last year or so. Um, and, uh, it's really important. You just don't carve up these areas. When, when you, you declare a wilderness area, it's really wilderness. And I think that the average person who lives in a city doesn't, really get that doesn't grok that at all um uh you know and uh, and and i I'm, I'm not even that much of a uh, a hiker myself but i read 
you know, uh, empathy can come from books as well. Uh, and I have been to some areas because I did have a house in the Pacific Northwest for 17 years. Um, and uh, so I understand this. And more people need to understand that we've got to just stop paving everything over. Um, you know, you're uh, getting speaking of that. There is a movement in Chicago now called Depave Chicago. Uh, and I interviewed uh, the woman behind it on my show uh, not too long ago. Um, and if you just go to depavechicago.org, um, you will see what they're up to and the idea. And they're just starting here, but there's been Depave all over the, the, the world. Uh, it started in Portland, Oregon. And what they do is they go into areas where there's been asphalt or concrete put down and they pry it up. And they restore the land. Now, what is interesting about the movement, it's it's as much a social movement as, as it is an ecological one. Because these people, they're not bringing in backhoes and ripping up huge chunks. They're doing it by hand. And I'm, I'm not sure why uh, yet, except that it is supposed to be a social movement. And then you get people together and you've got pry bars and shovels and pickaxes and, and sledgehammers, and you're breaking it down. And then they transform these lands into, into uh, uh, gardens, basically. Um, and of course, it allows water to percolate, which is very important because we're screwing with the water table. We have flooding in Chicago and other urban areas where we're not on a flood plain, although we're built over a, a swamp. Um, but, uh, often as you know, in urban areas, there's a lot of flooding and it has nothing to do with rivers. It has to do with the fact we've paved everything over. We shove everything through, uh, pipes. Uh, and then when we hit, get hit with, uh, rainfall, um, my friend Peggy, who uh, is co-host of my show, uh, last week, uh, I looked out, I came outside after heavy rain. I looked at my rain gauge three inches. I'm in Logan square. And I said, Wow three inches of rain overnight. That's a lot of freaking rain. So I, I, I called Peggy and I said, Peggy, you won't believe this. I got three inches of rain here last night. She said, I got five and she lives in Highland Park. Five inches of rain. That's insanity. Um, and these are happening more and more as we have climate change. And as we know, part of what climate change is, is uh, heat waves and drought but in other parts, I mean, St. Louis, just the other day, I'm sure you saw the news reports on that. I don't even, I heard some, one place had 12 inches of rain, 12 inches of rain. Are you kidding me? That's like a third of what we get per year in Chicago. And they had it in one day. Uh, this is what's happening to parts of the Midwest. It's going to be more rain, more events like this. Um, where other parts are going to have drought. And then what we'll do is we'll mix in, you know, a couple of months of drought after having all this rain. So you, you, you ruin the field so you can't put the crops in in the first place, and then you dry the heck out of them with, with a heat wave for a couple of months afterward. Yeah, that, that'll work. Um, this is what we're dealing. I don't even remember what the question was now. No, uh, it was a great riff. That, that was... Uh... That was like Jimi Hendrix just going on a riff there. And uh, uh, we started with uh, old growth trees in the far west coast and ended up with flash floods in uh, Missouri uh, and Kentucky, by the way. I might point out they're having uh, horrible uh, problems. Uh, They've had a, uh, in Kentucky in the last couple of years, there's been some tremendous rainfalls there. Yeah. And I just want yeah. to point out that uh, Missouri and uh, Kentucky are both uh, red states. Uh, they do have a. a, a uh, Democratic governor in Kentucky, somehow or other, he got elected, but uh, they went big for. Well, it's Donnie because Trump. The, the Republican governor was pardoning uh, hardened criminals, uh, so that was had something to do with it, I'm sure. All right. Well, when you consider that Donald Trump is the head of MAGA, and he's, I don't know, I don't know what you got to define what hardened criminal means. Uh, I think Donald Trump. I'd have to go look it up. I forget. I forget exactly who it was, but there, it had something to do with some pardons that were done in in the state. Uh, all right, let's uh, turn it local. Uh, here in the, in the city of Chicago, uh, the stuff that happens, I said, just gets me shaking my head. So we talked about, um, <laughs> I've had a field day with this one. Uh, the mayor has been urging the, the city council 
to crack down on speeders, okay, uh, urging the city council to uh, uh, pass laws that crack, crack down on drag racing, okay, and then <laughs> in the same breath, she has good news, NASCAR's coming to town. <laughs> What a city! And Chicago was like, no, oh, oh boy. my goodness. Yeah, NASCAR. Hey, tell me to a city near you. Well, you know, and, and I think I told you this the other day. It's it's because yeah. she's trying to get all those Chicago MAGA votes because there are so many, so many MAGA people in Chicago uh, who are she's trying just, to get that let's go Brandon vote. Uh, um, all right. Oh my goodness. Um, but you know, let me let me say something about the the speed limit. Um and the six mile an hour limit, I honestly do not have a problem with that um, uh, because I know you go faster than six miles over the limit on your bicycle. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, you ever saw me ride a bike? <laughs> I saw I saw an article uh, about that recently, and it was eye opening. And one of the things that was reported. So let's say you've got thirty mile an hour limit, which is standard for Chicago, uh, and you're going ten miles over. So you're going forty miles an hour. Uh, you hit someone at forty miles an hour. Chances are that person's going to die. If you hit somebody, let's say you're going five miles, you're going 35. Uh, it's, uh, th there's just a, it, that difference in speed between 35 and 40 makes a huge difference in whether someone will survive, uh, a f an auto accident. Uh, you know, and especially if you're doing th the difference between 30 and 40, most people who hit are hit at 30 miles an hour live. Most people who are hit at 40 miles an hour die. And so if you look at that, I'm fine with the limit. Now, um, it is you know, you want to be transparent about these things and the problem with all, with this and the, and the red light cameras and so forth, there's been a lot of, there, there's been a lack of transparency about why, where they are, why they've been put up, where's the money going. And that's always the issue in Chicago, but just alone on the physics of it, uh, and the mortality, I, I just don't have a problem. Okay. Time out. So, uh, all right. I didn't mean to go down this road, but we're on the road, so I might as well finish uh, the route. If you reduce the issue to just uh, the basics, like you just laid it out, I'm with you. No problem with it. As a bicyclist in the city of Chicago, as a pedestrian in the city of Chicago, I do want to encourage cars, particularly on side streets, not to drive so fast. No problem with it. This being Chicago, the way they set it up... <laughs> Only in Chicago, there is a huge disadvantage, if you will, if you drive mostly in black neighborhoods as opposed to white neighborhoods because the way they put the cameras and where they put it. And, and this has been pointed out by ProPublica has done at least two investigations on this. And I'm like, clean that up. If you believe Mayor Lightfoot and uh, Alderman Wagesback and uh, all the other all Lightfoot supporters in the city council, that it, they're, uh, it's in the... Uh, safety needs of the city to position speed cameras, then position them in white neighborhoods as well. Don't put a preponderance in black neighborhoods and roads leading to the expressway where you know people instinctively speed up because cars speed up when they go to an expressway. Put them in white neighborhoods too. Don't you want white people to be safe? And see, when I get it to that, Mike, I'm like, well, if you have more of the cameras in black neighbors and white neighborhoods, kind of leads me to think that it's not really about making sure that bicyclists are safe, that the Bens and the Mikes of the world are safe. No, what it's about is shaking down motorists, and they figure it'll be easier to shake down black people than white people. And that is the whole history of race in Chicago. If you could screw the black person, let's screw them. And that's just kind of how I view it, uh, Mike. Uh, I, I, and I get it. And, and I did mention transparency and the one thing <laughs> the city is yeah, never transparency. is transparent. Okay. Yeah. About anything, about anything, yeah. Yeah. uh, which, which boggles the mind. Uh, yes. but I, I get it. I completely get that. And although, you know, the, the argument could be made, don't white people have more money than black people? Uh, so maybe that's why Put you more need to there, out. put more in the white neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm with you on that. And then it'll be super safe. 
for bicyclists. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. It's like they they got more. ProPublica did the story. You know what the problem is. Oh, oh, we're not going to put more cameras in the white neighborhoods. Why? Because they don't want a bunch of white people screaming and yelling about tickets and how they can't. I can't drive down my neighborhood street without getting the ticket. And, know, and, so. and and did you see the Axios story that uh, the, actually the death rates are up uh, among? I would have to track that one down too. But uh, it's just interesting. There's some counterintuitive uh, information about uh, the uh, the cameras and and where accidents occur and and uh, the mortality rate. Yeah. All right. And let's. All right. So we'll move on from that. Uh, and the other interesting, you've talked in the show uh, about General Irons. Uh, moving down to the south uh, east side from the north side, uh, the metal crushing facility. We've talked a lot about that on this show, one way or the other. Uh, here's what I... <laughs> so there were two uh, public school teachers, high school teachers, uh, from Washington High School uh, that were very active uh, in uh, protests against uh, General Irons moving down there. And somehow or other, the, <laughs> the bureaucrats at Chicago Public School not having enough to do with their time uh, dug up uh, some uh, evidence uh, to justify or to warrant firing them, in their humble opinion. They moved to fire them. The Board of Education ultimately voted not to fire them. But, Mike, please explain to me how bureaucrats in Chicago have time to go after protesters who are against uh, in environmental degradation but don't seem to have any time to themselves fight environmental degradation. Help me out here, Mike. Oh, I can't help you out with that one. I mean, I uh, was talking to you uh, earlier about the guy, the teacher on uh, the north side um, in uh, uh, North Center area who's being let go. Uh, he's an environmentalist, been teaching there for 30 years, and he's an activist. And so it just seems as though the the bureaucrats just can't stand anybody who's got a little bit of independence. Um it's it's harder and harder to speak out in this country without some kind of backlash, uh, uh, but uh, this is a time when we need people to do that more than ever. But boy, the um, the thing about the uh, uh, General Iron on the South Side is that could have been resolved uh, two years ago easily, and because the activists were out and they would picket Lori Lightfoot's place, which is just down the road from where I live, um, and. Um, there, it was clear that this was not a good fit. Um, the southeast side of the city has been a dumping ground forever, uh, and uh, those folks have begun to f- begun to fight back, um, and so they just wouldn't let it go. Um, and so now, uh, the city is going to have to deal with HUD, uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Urban Development, um, and pass muster with them because uh one of the, I, I have the article here it's kind of interesting um that in a letter to the city uh they write the city ignored key substantive concerns throughout the process disparities in, in environmental burdens and their health effects were well known by the city and raised by residents and experts yet the city took significant actions towards the relocation without considering how the relocation would exacerbate those disparities. It's, that's business as usual in Chicago. You know that. I mean, you look at what happened in Little Village in 2020 when they had that implosion um, of the Fisk plant. Uh, everybody in the world knew that that was going to get out of control, and it did. Uh, and I, what the company got slapped on the wrist or something, I, I don't believe much happened with that. Um, they're still, uh, fighting that one. Um, I'm looking at the South, speaking of the Southeast side, the, um, uh, the sludge facility on the mouth of the Calumet river. You, you're, uh, familiar with that. Um, the army Corps and, and, and the Illinois EPA and in its infinite wisdom gave them another year, uh, to, to look at it. It's what they call a confined disposal f- facility. And basically they dredge up toxins from the river and they dump them in this area that was supposed to have been given back to the people of Chicago in 1994. Uh, so we're still waiting for that. And, and in an era of climate change, you and I mentioned climate change, 
oh, what could possibly go wrong? You put it right on the, uh, the mouth of a river on the shores of Lake Michigan at a time of uh, increased storms and, and weird lake levels uh, with, uh, filled with toxins protected by an earth berm. Uh, what could possibly go wrong there? In, in fact, let's build it higher now, which is what they want to do. They just want to stack it even more. Um, this is the kind of decision-making that just has me scratching my head and saying, you know, if 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 the mayor wanted it stopped, she could say tomorrow, we're not doing that. We're done. We're done with that. Uh, but somehow... The Army Corps of Engineers has more say as to what's going on in the city of Chicago than the city of Chicago does, and I don't understand why that is. Yeah, well, I uh, I think uh, I do uh, have a bit of an understanding. Uh, the environmental movement uh, in the city of Chicago, uh, how do I put this as succinctly as I can, has not been taken seriously. I guess that's the most euphemistic way of saying it. Uh, Mayor Daly, uh, Richard M. Daly, uh, fancied himself a, a tree lover and a bicyclist. Uh, and uh, so he did things like uh, put uh, flowers and shrubbery uh, in the middle of roadways. Uh, and, Some of which uh, were uh, actually dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Some of which, and mostly, a lot of which were just gathering trash, and uh, uh, and then well, Rom just them, some of them are still around, and some of them are very nice. I mean, you have to admit that uh, more trees was good because that's another thing we're dealing with right now. Our tree canopy is uh, declining, and um, the uh, the city is is doing all kinds of things except. Um, putting in more trees, uh, parkways have lost more greenery in the past decade than they've gained for every tree planted. The city has removed about two trees. They do it with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> uh putting in, uh, sewer pipes using medieval techniques, um, because they'll go into a block and, uh, you know what, we're going to cut down all those trees so we can put in a sewer pipe, even though there are places like Toronto and uh, places in in the United States who have figured out how to do it, but Chicago can't seem to figure out how to do it without cutting down all the trees. So we went from Daly, who added tree canopy, and I'm glad he did. The flowers were eh, okay, um, but the tree canopy is the most important uh, to a point where we're losing them hand over fist right now, and there seems to be no will to to stop that to reverse that trend yeah well i would say uh that the attitude of the powers that be in the city since daily left office is uh to roll their eyes at people like you uh and to roll their eyes at environmentalists in general aram just had utter disdain for environmentalists and activists uh, thought they were a bunch of losers and uh uh, and Lori Lightfoot, I don't even know if that's on her radar whatsoever. I get the feeling it's not. And that's, and that to me is very, very discouraging. I mean, um, Richie Daly, and I, I, I used to call him on my show, Richie, the deuce. Um, I, I'm not sure he appreciated that. Uh, but then he didn't listen to my show. Um, uh, but, um, at least he was doing something, uh, who knows what the, uh, the motivation was, but then Rom uh, was a cipher, actually a black hole, where all the environmental energy got sucked in and was never seen again. Um, and Lori Lightfoot doesn't seem any different uh, from Rom Emanuel in that regard. Uh, you look at Rom; he uh, disbanded the Department of the Environment immediately upon coming into office. Lori Lightfoot, campaign promise. She's going to restore it when uh, she became mayor. We're well. We're three years down that road, and uh, and still well more than yeah, uh, more than three years now, and still waiting for the Department of the Environment. So what what happened to that? Um, there, and 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 one of the things that happened with the the disbanding of the department is is all the environmental issues got split up and and moved shunted off into different departments where they could be buried and forgotten um uh like uh, the tree initiative and and other things 
Um, it's, uh, I'll tell you something else. Let me, uh, kind of a personal thing here. Uh, one of the other things that Rahm Emanuel did, which I never understood, and again, it's because he's the black hole of environmental concerns, uh, so maybe that explains it, is that the minute he came into office, he disbanded or he, he canceled um, a program called the Mayor's Landscape Landscaping Awards for 50 years. I mean, we're going back to the original daily. Um, they had gone into neighborhoods, the city, and said, hey, gardeners, uh, want to enter the awards and we'll, we'll give you a, a prize and we'll, we'll have a big ceremony and people would come and they would, they would, uh, show off their gardens and, uh, c communicate. And, uh, it was a, uh, it was something, it's a way to show your pride, uh, in your gardening and what do gardens do? They improve neighborhoods. Um, they, they help empower communities. Uh, a lot of the food is used to go to food pantries, um, there's, they help the environment on and on and on. And Rahm Emanuel snapped his fingers and that went away after 50 years, more than 50 years. Now, so I got mad and, um, I said, you know, I got a radio show. If city's not going to do this, I'm going to do it. Um, and that file that under, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started something called Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, which we, we began doing this in 2017. Um, and we just put the word out, social media and whatever. We're not the city of Chicago, so it's, it's much harder for us to get the word out because we don't order alder critters to, to put it in their newsletters. Uh, but we, in three years, from 2017 to 2019, we gave out more than 150 awards all across the city. Um, and then the, the uh, pandemic hit and we, uh, retreated for a couple of years, but we're back this year. We had more gardens than ever, uh, apply to win awards, uh, all across the city. I was on the South side today, uh, at 90th, um, and, uh, and just looking at gardens, uh, uh, I've, uh, and the people are, are amazing. Uh, but Something that is that simple, and it didn't cost the city anything because the judges were volunteers, mostly master gardeners. I, I volunteered for the city when it was doing this. Stuff like that, that engenders goodwill in the city. Where is that? Where is the goodwill uh, in the city? Something like and something that simple that makes people happy. Is, there, is, there a, is it a crime now to make people happy in a big yes. city? Uh, if it's in an, in the area of environment, yes, it's a crime, uh, and they're going to pave that over. All right, we have uh, run over uh, out of time, and uh, Mike Novak, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come talk to me. Uh, and I'm going. You've got me so fired up. I'm going to go pull some weeds in my backyard uh, to, <laughs> tomorrow, which is actually such a joke. The notion of me in a garden, but I love the idea of people gardening. I just don't like gardening myself. So. Well, that's okay. Uh, anyway, you know, you can enjoy a garden. You don't have to do it. Not everybody. Absolutely. No, not everybody. I, I was uh, talking to uh, one of the people I talked to on the south side today. She said uh, people stop by as, as she's gardening. And she, she, she's surprised at the number of people who have never planted anything in their lives. Yeah. Are you one of those people? Yes. I haven't planted anything. I think since seventh grade, we're in science. We had to plant something. And I didn't even grow reefer in college, man. Oh, I tried. So I didn't even do that. Yeah, yeah, I know you, uh, but uh, you didn't inhale. All right, anyway, uh, Mike Novak, uh, thank you very much, uh, and it's always a blast talking environment with you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. All right, that's great, Mike Novak. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>